Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The second impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump begins in the U.S. Senate today. We'll have coverage for you here on UPR, NPR's coverage uh, beginning at 11 o'clock this morning. We'll provide a preview on the program today. We're going to talk about procedure, recent history, all things related. And uh, we'll be talking with USU political science professor Damon Can. And as we go along, I'd love to know what you're thinking about all of this. Is impeachment of a former president constitutional? Uh, should President Trump be convicted or acquitted? What would you advise Senators Lee and Romney? If President Trump is acquitted, what does that mean for the impeachment process? Is it broken at that point? What will the outcome of the trial mean going forward for our national divide? You can join the program uh, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. We welcome in now USU political science professor Damon Can. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Good to, good to have you with uh, us. Uh, well, this is historic. Uh, we've never had a uh, president impeached twice. That's what we've had, and now the uh, trial will begin. Apparently today is going to be uh, debating the question, uh, is impeachment of a former official um, constitutional? So that's what will be happening today. Yes, it's going to be uh, an interesting discussion. We have uh, some insights uh, from statements made by uh, a number of Senate Republicans that suggest one of the major strategies on the part of Senate Republicans is to say that it's not constitutional to try someone who is no longer in office. And so that'll, uh, you know, that'll be a, an important question that they explore in the Senate today. And the Senate has already had a vote on this, or at least the Republicans took a vote, and uh, all but five came out uh, you know, in favor of this assertion, right, that the president cannot be tried once he's out of office. So we think we know how they're going to vote on, on acquittal or, or conviction, and we might be surprised. Correct. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, in, in politics, uh, we have a pretty good sense of where things are going before the votes actually take place. Uh, and in fact, uh, some uh, famed uh, former leaders uh, of, of our House and Senate have said, you, you don't hold a vote until you know what the vote's going to be. So uh, I, I think uh, Senate Republicans have been trying to circle the wagons and figure out what their, uh, what their best strategy is. And I think right now they want to make the case, uh, and, and, and will make the case, uh, uh, as effectively as they can, that there's not a good reason to uh, hold an impeachment trial for someone who's no longer in office. So looking at the arguments, um, the, the, the president's lawyers, it looks like, are likely to argue today uh, that the Senate lacks jurisdiction over President Trump because he's no longer in office. And it looks like they'll point out the fact that uh, removal from office is uh, one of the penalties. And since you can't remove uh, this president, then, then they'll lack jurisdiction. Yes. Uh, the, one of the interesting things about the impeachment process, first of all, the impeachment process applies not only to the President of the United States, but to all civil officers of the United States. So we've actually had some judges that have been impeached and removed, removed from office. That's primarily where we've seen this process be used all the way through, uh, whereas with presidents, while we've seen four impeachments in American history, we've never seen a president removed from office. Uh, another important part of the constitutional parameters here 
is that uh, the Constitution says that if uh, someone is convicted, uh, a president is convicted in an impeachment trial, then uh, there's a limit of two penalties. And one of the penalties is removal from office. Uh, and so, I, as you said, I expect to see Senate Republicans and uh, President Trump's uh, attorneys make the case that he's already not in office, so the question is moot. Uh, but the, uh, there is a second penalty that is allowed under the Constitution, and that is that an individual can be prohibited from holding uh, federal office again in the future. Uh, so not only would that, uh, presumably that would not only apply to prohibiting uh, Donald Trump from running for president again, uh, but would also limit the ability of, of uh, former President Trump uh, to run for, say, he couldn't perhaps run for Senate. He couldn't uh, be named as a judge or serve in a cabinet or, or as vice president or any of those kinds of options uh, in the future if the Senate were to convict Trump and then vote to impose that additional penalty. But those are the only two things the Constitution allows. That, that's, uh, that, that's the extent of the consequences uh, from uh, a conviction in an impeachment trial. It's interesting. Uh, a, a prominent conservative lawyer came out uh, this morning uh, in favor of the constitutionality of uh, in, you know convicting a former president, uh, and his uh, his argument focuses on that second penalty, right? That that he he says since the the framers of the Constitution, uh, you know, set up that second penalty that uh, you can bar an official from running for office, a federal office again. Uh, he says that it defies logic, quoting from him, it defies logic to suggest that the Senate is prohibited from trying and convicting former office holders, uh, uh, you know, under that uh, provision. And so I, uh, you'll probably see that argument uh, from House managers uh, today. I, I think that's exactly the uh, argument uh, that, that will come in favor of allowing the trial to move forward. Now, I, I think it's important to distinguish. There, there's two questions, uh, the legal questions that the Senate could end up wrestling with here. The first is, is it legal under the Constitution to hold an impeachment trial for a former uh, officer of the United States? Uh, and the second question is, if, if the answer to the first question is yes, then we ask the second question, and that is, did uh, some of the president's conduct rise to the level of uh, of an impeachable and uh, or an offense that warrants removal from office? And so, uh, the the strongest argument I think in favor of the constitutionality of impeachment is uh, that. How could that second provision ever be brought to bear on someone who did something significantly wrong in the last waning weeks or perhaps months of their presidency uh, or, or any other term of service in the United States? We couldn't enforce that provision if they could not be tried after the fact. And so, uh, um, the uh, a very uh, you know it, it's pretty straightforward to see that in the first case. If all the founders wrote in the Constitution was removal from office, well, removal from office has already been achieved naturally by uh, Donald Trump's term expiring. Uh, and so there's no need for uh, a, a trial on that basis. But on the basis of the second provision of potentially being barred from future uh, positions of trust uh, for the federal government, 
that would be something that would would be a, a meaningless provision of the Constitution if we couldn't have a trial after uh, someone has been um, uh, has, has left office. Uh, with our uh, email is available to you, and I'd love to know what you think. Uh, should President Trump be convicted or acquitted? What would you advise Senators Lee and Romney? Um, and uh, what you're thinking is the impeachment of a former president constitutional? If President Trump is acquitted, as it looks more likely than not, um, what does that mean uh, for the impeachment process? Is it broken? Uh, and what will the outcome of the trial mean going forward for our national divide? Uh, love to hear from you, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And, Professor Ken, we've, we do have a comment that's uh, come in from James and Logan. He addresses the point that you were just making. Uh, he says, good morning, Tom. One of the defense arguments in this second impeachment is that you cannot try a deposed president. I disagree. It is simple logic that any and every time a sitting president loses an election but then engages in wrongdoing before Inauguration Day, their impeachment will by necessity take place in the weeks after they leave office. The impeachment needs to be timely, I agree, but no president should get carte blanche in their last weeks in office. That's what uh, James says. I'd love to know what you think as well. Upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. Do you agree with James or disagree? Upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, so, uh, Professor Can, uh, James is making the argument that, that, that you just made, right? Exactly. Uh, and and uh, I, I think... Uh, the, the, there's a lot to commend to that argument. Uh, in fact, uh, one one thing that uh, we haven't uh, seen a lot of discussion about, but but a little bit that's starting to, to lurk in the background, is that we actually have had uh, individuals tried. Uh, we have had seen impeachment trials after someone has left office before. Now, it hasn't been for a president who was impeached and then left office and then had their impeachment trial in the Senate. Uh, but uh, actually, the first uh, impeachment trial in the history of the United States involved a, uh, an individual uh, in, by the name of William Blount. Uh, and William Blount uh, was found guilty, or, or had, was, it became quite the scandal. I shouldn't say he was found guilty. But it, it emerged that he was actually conspiring with the British uh, to support invasion of some uh, areas of, uh, of Louisiana and Florida uh, to turn over some of the territory to the British government. Uh, and this was, uh, you know, quite the scandal. Uh, you know, if there is treason, then conspiring with a foreign government to uh, cede U.S. territory to another government sounds like pretty treasonous activity to me. Um, and uh, it, it was an enormous scandal. So uh, uh, they moved, the House actually moved to impeach, uh, and during, before the impeachment process in the House could even really get altogether off the ground, the Senate got together and they used a different provision that allows the Senate to expel members for inappropriate conduct, uh, and the Senate expelled William Blount from the Senate. So he was out of office. Nevertheless, the House, wanting to be quick to denounce this inappropriate conduct, impeached uh, William Blount, and then they went to trial in the Senate. And actually, they did hold uh, a trial of that impeachment to consider removing Blount from office. Now, in the end, 
they did not ultimately choose to remove Blount from office. They ended up deciding that uh, Blount didn't meet the, as a senator, didn't meet the criteria of being a civil officer of the United States, and that it was the Senate's responsibility to just use their own rules to expel uh, him from Congress, which they had already done. Uh, so the Senate didn't end up taking action uh, at that point in time. However, it did establish a precedent that the Senate could hold an impeachment proceeding after uh, someone had been removed from office. And, and we actually have a, a couple of other instances in the course of history, not with presidents, uh, but still under the general impeachment procedures in the Constitution, where this has happened before. So uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that Donald Trump should or should not receive any particular penalty from the Senate. But what it means is that we do have examples in history that say there's, there, there's situations where it could be a good idea to go forward and hold an impeachment trial, and it has been done uh, before uh, in American history. Interesting. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and in any case, the, when the Senate can decide, right, the, the Constitution said the Senate shall have sole power to try all impeachments. So that's, yes. that's pretty broad power. It's, it's up to the Senate. Yes, and in fact, at times when any impeachment questions have gone to uh, the Supreme Court in the past, the Supreme Court has demurred and said, we're not even going to weigh in on this because the Constitution very clearly states that the Senate has the power to try the impeachments, and it's the Senate's job to determine what all the impeachment stuff means. Uh, so uh, some folks have wondered if there were some sort of consequence or penalty for President Trump uh, that came out of the Senate trial, you know, again, limited to removal from office and prohibition from holding future office, if that could be appealed to the Supreme Court. Uh, and certainly one always has an option to make an appeal. But my hunch is, based on the court's precedence, that, uh, that the court would simply say, look, the Senate has the ability to do what they choose to do here. It's not a Supreme Court issue. It is a political and, by virtue of the Constitution, Senate-oriented political question. If you just joined us, we're talking about the impeachment trial, the second impeachment trial of uh, former President Donald Trump. First time that's happened in uh, history. Uh, it's uh, starting today. We'll have full coverage for you beginning at 11 o'clock this morning here on Utah Public Radio. Uh, and apparently what the Senate is going to take up today is the question and then a vote later, uh, probably this evening, uh, on the question, uh, is it constitutional uh, to, uh, to even try uh, an impeached uh, former president, former official? And uh, so... Of course, if, if the vote is uh, no, it's not constitutional, then it ends right there. Uh, if it's more likely than not, uh, we think that the, the vote will be uh, yes, it is constitutional, then the, the trial be, you know goes forward uh, beginning uh, tomorrow. And uh, by the way, uh, coverage tomorrow, if the vote thinks uh, goes the way we think it will, uh, begins at 10 a.m., but today it's 11 a.m. We have with us uh, Professor Damon Kahn, Professor of Political Science, and uh, love to get your uh, thoughts on this. Uh, I'm uh, throwing out the question. We'll take this up in the next segment. Uh, give you a heads up, Professor Ken, and our listeners. Um, we'll kind of go out of order here. Later in the program, we'll do, get the arguments uh, pro and con on impeach on a conviction. 
But I'm, I'm uh, interested, if it goes the way we think it probably is going to go, uh, with an acquittal, a second acquittal, um, is the impeachment process broken then? Why should even the House, you know, <laughs> consider this remedy? Uh, there's a very interesting uh, article by uh, David Fromm in The Atlantic I'm going to reference uh, on this question. I'd love to get your uh, thoughts. Uh, upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com is the uh, place to go. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We will be witnessing history today. Uh, it's the second impeachment trial of uh, now former President Donald Trump. Uh, the, the the last one, uh, Professor Can a year ago. <laughs> history has been uh, being made uh, so frequently. I, I think it was a year ago, about about this time, the first impeachment yeah, trial. Uh, you know, it, it, there's. <laughs> The last year has been so packed full of unusual and interesting things uh, that uh, you know, by the, even by the time the election rolled around, it's unthinkable in American history that a president who had been impeached would go on to their next election and not have an impeachment conversation at the center of the, uh, of the, the election discussion. Uh, but given the pandemic, uh, the uh, impeachment discussion had long since uh, fallen out of the the, um, uh, the the main factors that people were discussing in the election, uh, and instead, so much was focused on the coronavirus that uh, that a lot of folks had even forgotten. I think that uh, Donald Trump had previously been impeached, um, and so. Uh, you know, we, we had a, a lot of discussion about, uh, you know, a lot of the previous uh, impeachment focused around uh, correlation, connection, and discussion uh, between Donald Trump and uh, the, the Ukraine and whether or not he had elicited election assistance from uh, a, foreign, a foreign government. And at that time, the House voted that there was enough evidence to support moving forward with the trial and impeached uh, the president. Uh, however, um, of course, the Senate, uh, with uh, with uh, all the all of the, nearly all the Democrats, I think, are, you know, only one Republican uh, voting in favor of removal from office, uh, and uh, you know, I don't think we'll quite see that small of a number of Republicans in this instance. I think we'll see perhaps a couple, uh, but the Republicans have have banded together and and seem to be pretty determined in this case. Uh, to recommend against even moving forward any further with the uh, impeachment trial uh, and, uh, and and removal from office at this point in time. And uh, uh, so we're going to we're talking about impeachment trial, of course, impeachment process, uh, all things related today. Giving a preview, we'll have full coverage from NPR right here on UPR, uh, beginning at eleven o'clock this morning. Uh, the the trial today, the the uh, the focus of today's uh, proceedings is is. Uh, Convicting a former uh, is even trying and impeached a former official uh, constitutional. That'll be the question taken up today. Uh, and we have this from Neil. Neil has emailed us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I'm curious to see what you think about all of this. Uh, and I've thrown out a few questions. I'm uh, very interested to see what you think. Uh, should uh, President Trump be convicted or acquitted, what would you advise Senators Lee and Romney? Um, and uh, is impeachment of a former president constitutional? 
Um, and uh, depending on the outcome, what does that mean for our politics uh, going forward and for the impeachment process itself? And uh, by the way, Professor Ken, our listeners, I've changed my mind. We will treat that question a little bit later. We'll go to the merits of the case for and against impeachment uh, next. But here, here's what uh, Neil says. The headline of his uh, email is, Lee and Romney must convict. He goes on to say, agree with James and the professor. A president and other officials have to be held accountable for what they do at the end of their terms. Of course it's constitutional, since our first impeachment trial occurred after Blount's term, as the professor just educated us. Uh, Neil goes on to say, I feel confident Romney will convict, but Lee and the other Republicans should all join together to rid our party of this cancer. There is strength in numbers, and a vindictive Trump can't work to primary all 50 senators, effectively taking away this power over the the party that he has. Uh, So thanks for that, Neil. Appreciate that. And... uh, Hope to get your perspective as well. Upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. So, uh, Professor Ken, uh, Neil, in the second paragraph, uh, gets into the politics of this, right? Uh, part of this, I mean, you, you know, you, you can't completely search the hearts of all the senators, but we assume that for some of them, it's, it's you know, politics is a consideration, and uh, they are genuinely afraid of getting primaried. Uh, as President Trump has threatened to do, those who cross him. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the founders knew that impeachment could become a political process. Uh, and, in fact, I, I suspect they probably would have bet on impeachment being a political process. And uh, that's the reason, and, you know, this, you know to, to talk a little bit about kind of why the impeachment process looks the way it does and think of is it functioning as it was intended, is this really working the right way? Um, that's the reason why the founders, uh, the founders were worried about a solely political process resulting in removal from office. And that's why even though they put just a, a simple majority threshold on the House for an impeachment, for articles impeachment, of impeachment to be passed, they put a two-thirds majority, a, a, a significant supermajority, in place for removal from office in the Senate. And uh, the, the goal was, in essence, uh, among the founders to say that the case to remove a, 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 a president uh, or another, another officer of the United States from office has to be so clear and so strong that not only would just one party band together, perhaps for political reasons, to remove from office, but that you would have to get a significant number of members of the opposite party to also be willing to join in and support that removal effort. And so uh, it's a two-thirds vote threshold uh, to remove from office. And then if that hurdle is passed, there would be a second vote held where, on a majority vote, the Senate could determine whether to bar from future office. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of rules and such in place here. The goal was to help the, uh, the goal of the founders, though, was literally to recognize that the process could be political and put the level of confidence, the level of certainty that wrongdoing had occurred uh, and that it was of a level that warranted removal from office, they intentionally put that threshold quite high 
Uh, and so are, will there be uh, Democrats voting for political reasons? Will there be Republicans voting for political reasons? Absolutely. Uh, there will be. Uh, the question is, will they meet the, the threshold that the founders uh, set of getting to a number of votes that would make it so that we could say that the consequence of removal from office or holding future office uh, is, is there's enough unity in the country's elected officials to warrant that dramatic and major and significant of, uh, of an action. Uh, it's uh, it occurs to me it's a, it's a bit ironic. It's it's interesting uh, at the very least. Um, it's likely uh, to be fewer to have fewer Republican votes to convict than there were to impeach, uh, where the thresholds are opposite. Right? It's just a majority vote in the House and two thirds needed in the in the Senate. And uh, you know, speaking of politics, uh, it's I would say very likely that those ten. House Republicans who voted to impeach uh, former President Trump, uh, I, I would think all 10 of those would be primaried. It, it, it's almost a certainty. Uh, what the outcome of those elections will be uh, is, is a little bit uh, more difficult. But it, it's interesting to watch Republicans wrestle with this topic because uh, you know, we have Liz Cheney, one of the, the top three uh, leaders of the House of Representatives, uh, who voted in favor of impeachment uh, as one of those ten, and uh, uh, you've had um, you know, the the Wyoming Republican Party uh, uh, taking votes on uh, censuring uh, 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 Representative Cheney, and uh, and and, and uh, you know I think uh, on on the flip side we've also had Republicans saying that Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a staunch supporter. Uh, of the president uh, has gone too far with some of the things she said and done, but ultimately, I think what Republicans, uh, the elected official Republicans in in Congress right now, are trying to do is just say, "Look, we've been through a really rocky patch. We're very divided. Not just you know, we everyone knows the country is very polarized, but the Republican Party has deep divisions internally uh, right now." Uh, many of those divisions revolve around uh, Donald Trump as, as uh, the, the former president and, and former leader of the party in, in many respects. And as Republicans try to figure out uh, how to move forward, there's really only two choices. One is to let those factions within the party duke it out to see who can win. Uh, uh, but rarely does that kind of uh, inner turmoil in a party lead toward winning elections and towards uh, you know policy being set more to the liking of any of the Republicans, whatever faction they come from. Uh, so instead, I think what now right, what Republicans are trying to do right now is say, look, let's just not fire anybody, let's not kick anybody out, and let's see if we can just let these divisions and wounds within the Republican Party heal themselves. And the impeachment trial is making it a lot harder. Uh, to do that. And so I think for Republicans, the, the number one political strategy right now is to get this thing over with as fast as they possibly can so that the party's in a better position to move forward and, and can, can stop hammering at this wedge that's driven right into the, the middle of the party. The other thing that's really hard about this is while, uh, while there's a lot of indications that there's a great amount of division about Donald Trump within uh, the House and the Senate among elected Republicans, 
among the electorate, uh, the Republican Party electorate, um, Donald Trump is still very, very popular. Um, he, you know, he didn't face any, even after being impeached, he didn't face a serious challenge uh, for uh, renomination uh, for the 2020 election, uh, which shows that there's still a significant amount of support in the Republican Party base uh, for uh, Donald Trump. That being the case, um, members, Republican members of Congress still have to be a little bit careful uh, in thinking about how they treat this issue because they don't want to end up having someone else come through, run against them in a primary election, and, and depose them simply because of one vote on an impeachment uh, question. And so you're going to see some very, very cautious and careful Republicans. I think you will see Republicans who say, uh, the, the, the riot at the Capitol was unacceptable uh, and inappropriate, uh, perhaps even condemning certain statements or aspects of Donald Trump's conduct. Uh, but I, I think that you will see them uh, generally come up short in terms of making a statement. Uh, you know, I, not to say that what, what's right or wrong, my, my analysis is not intended to be normative so much as it is simply to say, from a politically pragmatic standpoint, most Republicans are not going to go to the extent of voting uh, to impose uh, a penalty on Donald Trump in, in this impeachment uh, process. I want to bring this uh, forward. Um, I was going to treat this later in the program, but uh, I guess now I think is a good time to do this. I'd love to get uh, our listeners' take on this as well, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, the question is going to be very pessimistic, and uh, perhaps you can uh, change it uh, to optimism. Um, my question is the underlying uh, fundamentals which underlie this impeachment uh, process, the, the, the questions that are being treated. Uh, and the overall question is, um, can we even talk to each other about this? Um, it seems to be going the speedily in the wrong direction. What I'm talking about is the, the, the fundamental um, uh, question, uh, not a majority, it's a minority um, of the country, um, but a significant minority, at least in polls, are saying Yes, President Trump is correct. This uh, this election was stolen. There was massive fraud. Uh, however, it happened. Uh, this election was stolen, and uh, and therefore, you know, you can without perhaps supporting what happened uh, the Capitol riot. Uh, the underlying principle uh, from their point of view is well, these were patriots. Is trying to trying to right a, a horrible a wrong. The majority of the country. Um, it says this is a this is a big lie. This is uh, you know former President Trump uh, pressed this and pressed this, got a majority of the country to agree with this. Uh, but the point is, uh, uh, have you respond to um, this? Seems like it's becoming a litmus test in the Republican Party. Th- this is in part what the whole battle is over, right? Uh, purity of where you stand on this uh, on this question of what a majority of the country calls a, a big lie. Uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, as, as, as significant as the question of whether to remove a president from office, even, uh, you know, even though term is over and, and perhaps bar from future office, uh, as significant of a question as that is, um, 
I think the more significant question for the future of our country is whether or not there's some way that we can come uh, together uh, as a country and, and move forward. Um, the degree of you know, the United States right now is, is basically, uh, at least in our Congress, our Congress is as polarized as it's ever been. Uh, and uh, we, you know, it's, uh, th there hasn't been a lot of direct coverage uh, of these kinds of things, but, uh, but, you know, individual narratives are starting to kind of creep out of exactly what happened between Republican and Democratic members uh, of Congress during the riot uh, at the Capitol when they were um, kind of tucked away. And um, there's, you know, there are some stories of folks kind of trying to, to work together and try to, to just be civil. There are also some stories that are starting to creep out of, of members of Congress yelling at each other and being angry at each other, arguing that the Republicans telling Democrats that their choices led to this and Democrats telling Republicans that their choices led to this uh, to an extent that makes you wonder uh, whether it's even possible for Congress to govern. Uh, and uh, the hope has to be uh, that we can find ways to set those differences aside uh, and at least pay attention to core issues uh, that are facing the country. Um, but, you know, in, in a democracy, uh, as, as we live in, uh, where we choose our representatives, um, you know, when, you know, I, I often tell my students, if you don't like the behavior of our elected officials, you really need to look at the attitudes of the voters that are driving those attitudes, uh, because members of Congress are very responsive to electoral concerns and considerations. The system is designed that way. And so if we don't like the behavior and actions we're seeing out of our elected officials, we really need to check ourselves uh, to think about and consider whether there are things that we are asking of our elected officials uh, that are causing them to act in, in, in these kinds of ways. So uh, I think uh, um, that, that polarization uh, in, in the population writ large, whether it's over issues of attitudes about what happened in the election um, uh, or, or other issues, are, are driving uh, this, this dysfunction in Washington, D.C. And uh, you, know, you, you asked me to try to, to maybe be a little bit hopeful <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's a situation where there's not necessarily a great deal of, of, of hope to be found. But I think, honestly, what it will take is strong signals from the elites in both political parties uh, that they need to find ways to work together, that compromise isn't a dirty word. And, and I, I hope that uh, individuals in the electorate will recognize that it, it, look, as profoundly as I have my own political views and, and ways that I think Congress should act or, or policies that should be set in the United States, I know I need to have a realistic expectation that lots of people feel differently from me and that sometimes that's going to mean my elected officials are going to uh, vote to achieve part of what I'd like to see, even if I can't get all of what I'd like to see. Uh, and. Uh, and so I, I, you know, the, the way out of this, I, I think, in a lot of ways, is for our elected officials to help 
uh, their constituents understand and, and for us as constituents to be receptive to the fact that we need to give credit to elected officials for achieving good things that are able to move through rather than uh, criticizing and chastising and being hard on our elected officials and, and elected officials from the opposing side simply because even though they got us 90% of the way to what we want, they didn't get the other 10%. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if we could see that shift in attitudes, uh, both in our le- electeds as well as in the populace, we'd have a much better chance of being more functional uh, and, and, uh, and moving the country forward more effectively. Just one more point on this, and then we'll get back to impeachment. Um, I, I guess uh, part of where I'm flabbergasted and, and pessimistic <laughs> is if we, if we can't even agree on the facts— then, then how do we talk to each other? And, and this seems to be a spectacularly big example of this, right? Um, the, the, a majority uh, says, of course the election was not stolen. What are you even talking about, right? Uh, all the evidence points to the fact there is no massive fraud. But a, a minority, uh, they passionately believe um, at least some of them, I'd, maybe some are telling pollsters, you know, maybe the party line, but, but some of them at least passionately believe the other way. Yes, you know, President Trump's telling me it's, it was stolen. The outlets, media outlets that I go to are telling me that the election was stolen. This is fundamental, right? It gets to democracy. And so I guess that's where I'm getting stuck about how to, you know, if we can't even talk to each other, if we can't even agree on facts, then how do we go forward together? Uh, that's a, a, it's a very difficult uh, thing if, 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 if we're living in different realities, as it seems that sometimes we are uh, on, uh, on, on politics in, in the United States today. Um, and uh, moving forward from that is exceptionally difficult. Um, it, it turns out that political persuasion is a very difficult thing to achieve. Um, and so it's hard to convince someone... Uh, you know, a, a, a lot of times uh, in politics, uh, the, the political world is so complicated, nuanced, and difficult for us to navigate uh, that we rely on heuristics, little mental shortcuts uh, that our brains uh, have developed uh, over, over many years as a capacity uh, to use to make it easier to make decisions and make pretty good decisions for the most part. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, without having to go through the burdensome, time-consuming, and difficult process of wholesale evaluating political arguments. And, and I should add to that, it's an uncomfortable thing to do as we encounter different circumstances and, and ideas uh, that we find difficult to deal with or adapt to or accept. Uh, so um, uh, our, our brains are developed to use heuristics or shortcuts uh, to help us make political decisions. Now, uh, the two, in, many, in many instances, this works very, very well. But one of our heuristics is if there's someone who we know and we trust, who's on the same team as us, who we believe has good knowledge, information, shares our, our, our values and our goals, when they make a claim and say something, we tend to believe them uh, and to accept the things that they, that they tell us. 
And uh, uh, so there, there's good psychological evidence behind those kinds of processes in the way humans evaluate uh, political arguments. And in many instances, that works pretty well. Uh, you know, right? Uh, when, when someone says, I think this cereal is delicious, we're likely to go out and say, I'm going to go buy that cereal because I know that when I've tasted other things this person likes, they've also tasted good, and we go out and we buy the cereal. Uh, we eat it, and we're probably more likely to just say that we like it uh, because someone else told us that they thought it was good. Um, with breakfast cereal, that can work really well. With political candidates, this is a little more challenging because sometimes someone will say, this candidate is good, we make that decision, and then we don't critically evaluate or update our beliefs and preferences until we're really brought to a point where we're forced to do so. Uh, and, and obviously, you're right, there, there's uh, lots and lots of evidence that supports the fact uh, that, um, uh, that the 2020 election was uh, a, a clean uh, election that was run properly. We know that in any election, there are a handful of instances of, of, of voter fraud, but there was nothing of a scope that we can find any evidence of. Uh, that uh, that there was uh, an extent of voter fraud anywhere in the United States that was of a magnitude that could have changed the outcome of this election, and uh, you know what? I personally I have to hand it to uh, a number of Republican elected officials who have come out and said, "Look, sometimes you win your election, sometimes you lose. When you lose, you have to accept it, move on, and compete more effectively in the next election." Uh, and we have had, uh, you know, a growing numbers of Republicans stepping forward and making those kinds of statements and claims. But we still have some people who are clinging to the previous beliefs that the election was rigged, stolen, uh, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and it's very difficult uh, to convince them otherwise unless we have people from within their party who are coming out, from within their media network, within the political leadership that they admire that are coming out and saying those things uh, that, that help to debunk those rumors. The problem is there's not a lot of political reward or political incentive for people to do that. Uh, the Republicans that are doing it are doing it simply because they really believe it's the right thing to do, and they're going to do it even if it costs them politically. And so... Uh, I, I think, uh, and, and there's really not a lot of reward for it either, because it's not as though large numbers of Democrats are going to cross over and vote for those Republicans on the account of the fact that they spoke the truth about the nature of this election. Um, so uh, I, I think folks who are doing that deserve our admiration and, and our courage uh, and, and uh, our appreciation uh, for for uh, for speaking truth about that election and trying to support um, the values of, uh, of a strong republic, uh, from the, even though it might not be political, politically popular within their own party to do so. Well, let's uh, take another break. If you just joined us, we're talking about the impeachment trial. We got into there in that segment talking about kind of the underlying uh, debate. We'll get back to uh, talking about the impeachment trial specifically uh, with Professor Damon Kahn from Utah State University uh, following this break. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are previewing the uh, impeachment trial, which will begin today in the U.S. Senate, the impeachment trial uh, for uh, former President Donald Trump. 
This is his second impeachment trial, uh, making history. Um, and that's set to begin at 11 o'clock this morning. We'll have that right here on Utah Public Radio. We're talking with USU political science professor Damon Can. Love to get your uh, comment about anything related here to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Should President Trump, former President Trump, be convicted or acquitted? What would you advise, Senators Lee and Romney? Is it constitutional to uh, try a uh, impeached former uh, president? And what does this all mean for our politics going forward? Upraccess at gmail.com. Um, so, David Can, let me just read a statement. Uh, I think this pretty much sums up what the House managers are going to be saying, uh, likely beginning on Wednesday. Uh, this is uh, Representative Cheney's uh, statement uh, as she uh, announced that she was going to be voting for impeachment, which she did. Here's what she says. On January 6, 2021, a violent mob attacked the United States Capitol to obstruct the process of our democracy and stop the counting of presidential electoral votes. This insurrection caused injury, death, and destruction in the most sacred space in our republic. Much more will become clear in the coming days and weeks. But what we know now is enough. The President of the United States summoned this mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. Everything that followed was his doing. None of this would have happened without the president. The president could have immediately and forcefully intervened to stop the violence. He did not. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. Uh, so, so, as I said, the, the specific charge, there's only one charge, incitement to insurrection, right? But that pretty much sums right. up what I think we're going to hear from the House managers. Uh, what are you hearing, uh, Damon Can, on uh, what the defense team, former President Trump's defense team, what are, what are they saying? What are they going to be saying? Well, I, you know, I, I, at first I think the defense team is hoping that they can simply stop it at the question of whether or not that there is going to be any additional trial of the impeachment and, and see if they can just stop it simply on the grounds that they don't want the trial to move forward, feeling that it's not constitutional. If they are forced uh, to go in and defend, I think that they will probably go directly to quotes from Donald Trump, uh, both in his speech uh, the morning of uh, and uh, during uh, or later after the riot took place, uh, and since then, indicating that, uh, uh, that even before, um, you know, as, as he was addressing supporters out on, uh, in Washington, D.C., saying that he wanted them to be peaceful, uh, that, uh, uh, that his hope, uh, and, and I think that they will identify and, and capture and, and quote the president as saying that he, he desires for his supporters to be peaceful, that he doesn't want violence, and that even though he didn't feel like the election outcome was fair, as we discussed in the last segment there, uh, that, uh, that he did not want people to act out violently. And so I, I think uh, the case that they will make is that there is the evidence that, you know, if, if we were to use uh, kind of the, the, the direct incitement test, uh, that's applied to, to violent standards and, and uh, free speech uh, standards uh, that the Supreme Court would use, were they the arbiter of this, it would be difficult to prove uh, that Donald Trump is guilty of, of incitement, uh, of rebellion, under the, the Supreme Court standard of the direct incitement test. So uh, I think that they, that 
uh, Trump's team is going to make the argument that if you use the standards that would be applied in a court of law, that Trump would uh, almost certainly be acquitted of, of incitement of rebellion um, uh, un, under those standards. We, we go back to uh, language used uh, about uh, Richard Nixon when questions were swirling about his uh, fitness for office. Um, and uh, uh, in saying, you know, question, what did the president know and when did the president know it uh, in terms of what was going on in the Watergate scandal? Uh, you know, I, I, I guess those kinds of questions could be asked. What did Donald Trump know about uh, the intentions of this group? Uh, what awareness did he have of their action, and did he do or say things that would have motivated or encouraged uh, rather than quashing uh, any violent intentions? And uh, as, as yet, I don't know that we've seen the proverbial smoking gun of Donald Trump intentionally planning uh, and encouraging those behaviors. Now, uh, the Democratic case will have to be centered on, again, based on what we've seen so far, on claims that, um, that the nature of the tone of his language or the very fact that he did not accept the outcome of the election results resulted in an environment and a situation where this kind of violent uh, and, and unacceptable action took place. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's likely that that argument would... Uh, would win the day uh, in a Senate with 50 Republicans that have already expressed uh, their their opinion on this matter. So uh, I don't think uh, that we're likely to see uh, a sufficient supermajority to vote in favor of removal from office on the basis of those arguments. By the way, I made reference to an article in The Atlantic by David Frum. Uh, he is hopeful about the impeachment process. He says even if uh, there's a second acquittal, uh, of uh, former President uh, Trump, that the process isn't necessarily broken, at least in the way we, that we think. He says impeachments still have uh, consequences, and it's still a powerful statement uh, from uh, Congress. I'll point you to The Atlantic to read uh, David Frum's uh, article. So just 30 seconds, uh, Damon Can, uh, what's your prediction? Is uh, Senator Romney a yes on conviction, and, uh, and Senator Lee uh, voting for acquittal? Uh, that that would be my projection. Uh, 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 Senator Romney was quick to condemn uh, Donald Trump in the first uh, impeachment uh, process. I think he, he signaled that he is, would be willing to vote to convict again. Uh, Mike Lee, in contrast, has argued that he doesn't feel like it's a constitutional process uh, and perhaps that there isn't enough evidence to result in removal from office anyhow. And so I think we'll see a split in Utah's uh, 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 Senate delegation on this one. Well, we'll be keeping an eye, uh, an ear in this case, on it uh, on the radio. We'll have uh, full coverage of the impeachment trial of uh, former President uh, Donald Trump right here on Utah Public Radio. Uh, the proceedings today begin at 11 a.m. All that right here on UPR. Uh, we've been talking with uh, USU political science professor Damon Can. Uh, professor, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Tom. And thanks for listening to Access Utah.